0: y'all got your Bibles, go to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter eight. Psalms chapter eight. We're going to start at verse one. Psalms chapter eight, verse one. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, give us understanding. Help us to hear and to know what it is that you desire us to be and to do. In Jesus name, speak clearly, speak plainly. Amen. All right, Psalms chapter 8. We're continuing on the same vein. We're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday. We've been talking about man made in the image of God. And last Sunday we was talking about, continued talking about the dignity of man in the image of God and how that shows the relation and, and all the beautiful things that God put into man to make man who man is. But we ended with the question of what does it mean to be the image of God? Or what is the image of God? And that's what we're going to try to discover today. What is the image of God? What is it that we're made in, after, or in the likeness of? But to start this, just to get our minds in in the right framework, let's go to, we're going to read verses 1 through 4, I guess, 5. I might keep reading. So let's just read, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name above all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the Son of Man that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hand, and hast put all things under his feet. All the sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Now this is one amazing psalm. But just to get our mind in, in, in the same framework let's just take the picture of what he's creating. He's talking about the excellency of the Lord and the works of the Lord and how great it is. And when you take the picture, he said, when I consider the heavens, the works of our hands, just think about that. When we think about the heavens, we think about all the stars and the galaxies and all that other stuff they tell us is floating around out there. Just this This is amazing. We got gigantic, huge rocks, balls of gas, Stuff that's ten times the size of this earth out there floating and hanging on nothing. Just suspended in air, hanging above us, swirling around us, all of this great universe that God has created. And And if the scientists are anything close to correct, they say this stuff goes on for eons and eons out there, great vast stars, planets. All these things is hanging and hovering above all of that, and you expand out throughout the universe, and you look at us in relationship to all of the greatness that God has made, we seem to be pretty small and insignificant. Don't you think? It's like our earth itself is pretty small in comparison to the sun and some of them other planets, let alone us sitting on it. That we, we seem to be pretty minuscule. Even down to you can go into the reverse. When we're talking about man and the nature that we have made. Each one of our cells has its own galaxy and universe contained within it. Stuff that they're still trying to figure out to this day. So you got stuff we cannot comprehend so great, so big that goes beyond us. And stuff we cannot comprehend so small and so minute but yet so vast that contained inside of us. And you got us just stuck in the middle. In all this vast creation, all this vast glory, all the intricacies that God has set forth. Some way, somehow, man seemed to be important. And that's why the psalmist asked the question, what is man? Like, what is he? What is the significance of him? Why have you crowned him with glory and honor? That's the question that he's getting at. When I think about all of that you made all of the great creation, all of the stuff, the expanse and the wondrous of who you are and what you've done, what, what am I? Just a little speckle of dust that is here today and gone tomorrow. But yet and still, what he said about man? Verse 4 said, What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. So this is man what's the significance of him but he said thou has made him a little lord in the angels now that's a very deep verse if you think about it on the on the surface in, in the way that king james and most of the translators translated we got god you got angels then you got man but if you dig into that verse we got some problems that we have to wrestle with because if you look up the Hebrew word that that's translated angels, it's really Elohim. So in the Hebrew said, thou hast made him a little lower than the Elohim. Or a little lower than the gods. So you got man, position, a little lower than the Elohim. Now we can get deep and go through all that. We're going to have to probably end up doing it in a little bit. But let's just say we take the King James translators and all the rest of the translators really... The folks who translated Septuagint started that. And we take angels. Out of all creation. He said we're a little bit lower than the angels. We're a little bit lower than the mighty beings. The rulers that God has placed over the heavens and the earth. And he crowned us with glory and honor. And given to us dominion. These are some of the things we were talking about. So in the position of all God's creation. You sit right up there in the throne room, are the rulers that God has placed above the heavens and the earth. You are a part of God's counsel. You are a part of God's dominion bearers that God has created. That's who we are. Just a little bit lower. And it's an amazing thing. Like we we in our culture, especially the uh, dark-skinned church folks, it's, it's this awesome thing that it creeped in. It was just really stupid. Like when people die. We got this crazy saying that God and got one of his angels back. Anybody ever heard anybody say that? <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. God, God needed another angel. If you read your Bible and you pay attention to it consistently, Paul tells us in 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that we need to be able to handle our own business in-house because one day we're going to rule over angels. That's part of our destiny as human beings. He's crowned us with so much glory, with so much dominion, that we're a little bit lower than the Elohim. We're a little bit lower than the rulers. We're a little bit lower than the gods. So it's a disrespect to me if in I die, y'all be putting on my obituary and on Facebook and all that other stuff that God got an angel back. I'm greater than an angel. I'm a human being created after the image of God. Please stop letting them church folks do all that stuff. I'll watch it. At work one day, later watching a little video. I think Tyler Perry or something like that. And the perp died. And you see them floating in the air with wings and all that. Man, this dude supposed to be a Christian. He must have never read the Bible before. When we die, we ascend to be with God as human beings. And when Christ come back to set up his kingdom, we're going to reign and rule with him, judging and ruling over angels. We will be the chief dominion bearers that God has placed on this planet. Please do not disrespect yourself, thinking there's some great thing out there called an angel that's greater than you. You are the image of God. And think about this. We said it's on a man that thou has visited him. God came down to visit with human beings. Satan rebelled against God. And the Bible teaches us that a third of the angels got kicked out of heaven. Doom, reserved in darkness for forever. Now let's think about this all the way through. They was up there in the very presence of God. And they supposed to be these great things that some church folk tell you you need to pray to see and all that other type stuff. They got kicked out of heaven. Doomed to eternal darkness. And God did what? Absolutely nothing. He did absolutely nothing to redeem them. He did absolutely nothing to make that situation any better than what it is, and that's eternal damnation. But some nappy-headed, funny-looking folks disrespected him, blasphemed him, cursed him, and he came down, dethroned himself, humiliated himself just so he can be with you again. But you want to die and be an angel. We're greater than that. And God has crowned us with more glory than that. God has given us more honor than that. God has made us the image bearers, the dominion keepers of this planet. And that shows you the greatness that we have in superiority to the angels. Now, why is it like that? I can't answer that question. God don't tell us. But he visited us. God came down from heaven. God dethroned himself just to come and see little people like yourselves. Just so that we can be reunited with him. And every time I think about that, it blows my mind. I'm like Satan. We think he's the epitome of evil. But if we read the Bible consistently, all this dude did was think that he can be God. That's bad. But he did that one time, got kicked out of heaven with no chance of forgiveness, no chance of repentance. Then he came down to this planet and then he lied to some people and did a whole bunch of little bad and created a chain of bad things. Then I think about me. All I did was think that I was God all by myself, that I can make my own decisions, that I can live my own life, that I'm the architect and the controller of my destiny, where I'm going, what I'm supposed to be doing and all that good stuff. That don't sound too different from what Satan did. He did it one time. I did it for a whole bunch of years. He lied to a pair of people in a garden. I lied to a lot of people. (laughs) A whole bunch of times. You're starting to see the picture. So in nature... In reflection, and deeds, we ain't too much better than what that dude that was. But in love and humility and what God has shown us, we are so much better because God came down here and visited us. So this is who we are. We are the crown and glory of God's creation. To the point that he's given us dominion, to the point that he's willing to sacrifice himself just to come be with you. So please don't let nobody tell you when you die, you're going to be an angel. That ain't true. You're greater than that. You're more glorious than that. And please let these folks stop tricking you and think you need to be praying to see angelic visitation. You don't need to see that. You got something greater. You have access. The Father came to visit you. He came to be with you. He desires to dwell with you. He desires to commune with you. You don't need to be talking to no angel. But that's a whole nother subject and I'm going to get off task a little bit. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to wrestle with this thing a little bit. Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two. Verse six. And this is gonna start us on our journey to understanding what it means or uh, what is the image of God. It said, but one in a certain place testified, saying, "What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor." and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he hath put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him. This is the writer of the Hebrews. He's quoting that same Psalms 8 that we just got done talking about. So he's talking about this picture of dominion, that everything is placed under man. And he said, now we see not all things in subjection unto unto him not all things are under him but let's keep reading what we see so since we don't see all things in subjection to him this is what we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man that's he he, he messed up because he switched he was quoting Psalm 8 Psalm 8 was talking about who man in the son of man but now he makes this application in verse nine in explaining that verse he says but we see jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of god should taste death for every man so in the mind of the writer of the hebrews psalm eight is applicable, applicable to jesus that that verse is talking about jesus but that verse is talking about man And what he's demonstrating is, in his understanding, his interpretation of the scripture, that Jesus is the epitome of what man is. So the true man, the real showing forth of the example of man is Christ himself. Y'all, y'all, y'all getting the picture. And if you pay attention to reading your New Testament and flashback sometimes to the Old Testament, and, and try to track some of those scriptures out when they talk about Jesus and the fulfillment. If you read back in the Old Testament, you'd be scratching your head and you'd be like a little confused. because they say stuff like, this was fulfilled so that the scriptures could be filled that he called his son out of Egypt. Then if you read through your Hebrew Bible and you keep reading that thing and you come across the, the quote, for I have called my son out of Egypt. You're like, man, that ain't say nothing about no Jesus. That dog ain't talking about Israel. So how in the world is Jesus the fulfillment of that when he wasn't even talking about no Jesus? And the picture that the, he, that the New Testament writers are showing us is that the true epitome of man, the true showing of who man is or what man is, is Christ himself. So when it's talking about man, it's talking about Christ. And so he take this application to show us that Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, was made a little lower than, than the angels for the suffering of death, that he might receive us to, unto us himself. So we're starting to see this picture that Jesus is man. He's the true man. And if we get to understand what we are to be as human beings, we must understand the image of God. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Now it stops to go to 2 Corinthians first. We're going to take this little journey to demonstrate a point. Now this is necessary for us to understand. If you get this, salvation and redemption gonna make a whole lot of sense second corinthians chapter four we'll start at verse one said therefore seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy we faint not but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of god deceitfully but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid from them to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Least the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves for your servants, for Jesus' sake. This is a deep theology that go on in these two chapters put together. But we're gonna, we're gonna try to get it and it's gonna set our grid. What is the image of God? Now if you've been around church for a little bit, you get a couple options. Some folks gonna tell you the image of God is our intellect. Told you that before, that's what they're gonna tell you. The image of God is our intellect. The fact that we're smart and the fact that we can think, the fact that we can understand, we can comprehend, we can manipulate thoughts, ideas that that is the image of God but the Bible don't teach that that's just men waxing eloquent and there's a problem with that because if that is truly the image of God then what we have is a system that shows discrepancy within the image because you take a brother like myself I'm a a tad bit slow now, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like when I read something, I have to read about 10 times. And that take me about an hour because t- it could take me a long time to read to start off with because I read slow. Then my mind is zoned out sometime in the middle of it so I don't be to nothing I read, read. Then I'm a little bit slower because I don't get nothing. But you got some people like Apostle J, That brother there is smart. And you got some people better than him. Like Madam Ebony. That sister there is real smart. Now if the image of God is purely intellect, she's more like God than I am. Because she's a whole lot smarter than I am. <laughs> That's just the reality. Then what do you do? with people who are slower than me. just like y'all, I know some of y'all, y'all stuck in the middle. Like y'all supposed to be Democrats because you're black. <laughs> but then you're Christians. So you're supposed to be pro-order, pro-life and all that other stuff. But you can't be all way Republican because you're black. This is how folks think. It's not my opinion. <laughs> It's the people's opinion. <laughs> so you'd be stuck. And you're out there and you walk around. Some of you would be super deep. You put your tape on your mouth. You hold your signs. You walk in front of the abortion clinics and all that stuff about destroying the image of God. Now, if the image of God is purely intellect, and somebody was to come to you and say, well, my child's going to be mentally retarded and he ain't going to be able to think he ain't going to be able to comprehend, does that mean they get to abort Because he's lacking some of the image of God if the image of God is purely intellect y'all getting what I'm saying so if our theology go that way we got some real serious problems and we got some showing up super problems because we get to rank people but the Bible don't rank people it says God is not a respecter of persons we all on the same plane that as human beings we all human beings small and great there's no differentiation so the image of God can't be purely intellect and it can't be purely morality because the Bible refers to heathens as the image of God. In Genesis, when it talks of, give us the, the, the law that we extrapolate capital punishment from, That's was when Moses, not Moses, but Noah was getting off the ark. And he says that whoever killed man, by man shall his blood be shed because man is the image of God. It didn't separate. It just said man, period. So if I kill a righteous man, I'm killing the image of God. If I kill a wicked man, I'm killing the image of God. So the image of God can't be purely morality. You're starting to get what I'm saying. And if we pay close attention to it, I highlight it to you. When it talks about us being made in the image of God or after the image of God or in the similitude of the image of God, it's showing us that there is a form, that there is some image that we're copied, we're a copy of. And Paul Hints to us, or no hint, he actually flat out says it, what that image is. Read verse four again. Talking about the, the God of this world blinding the mind of the people so that they don't comprehend our gospel. Say, in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest least the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So according to Paul, Christ is the image of God. So the thing that the God of this world is blinding them from, this glorious gospel, if they get it, says Christ, who is the image of God, going to shine on them. So we were made after the image. We was made in the similitude of the image. But Christ himself is that image. So it's our destiny to be what Jesus was or is because Christ is the image of God. Go to Colossians chapter. Well, go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter one. Go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, we're reading that verse 1. It says, God, who at sundry times in divers manners, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, and whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory, in the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. He's talking about the Son, Christ himself, the Son of God. He said he is the express image of his glory. This is who Christ is. He is the image of God, showed forth, manifested unto the world. Are y'all, you, you starting to see what I'm saying? So we were made after the image. Christ is the image. So Christ shows us the, what man is. So our destiny is to be what Jesus is. That's what we were carving copies of. That's what we were patterned after. It's like two, Jesus was playing 2K. I'm saying, and he was creating a player. So he was creating like six billion, 10 billion players. And he didn't have a one player that he liked. So he start making everybody like this one player. And this one player is Jesus. So we got short Jesus. We got fat Jesus. We got skinny one, We got Jesus with long hair. Jesus with short hair. Jesus with big ears. Jesus with ears that connect to their side of like that. All these different kind of Jesus. So God was going in. He was putting in the stats. He was putting in all your attributes. All of them are the same. He just changed what the player looked like. But Christ is the pattern. He is the express image of God. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Let's just dry this on home. Colossians chapter 1. Starting at verse 12. It said, giving thanks unto the Father, which have made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life who have delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible, and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. It's deep passage. But you see the pattern here. Y'all starting to see it a little bit. That Christ is the image of God. And I like the way he put it in here. He say he is the image of the invisible God. So Christ is the manifestation of the thing that we could not see. He is what we're supposed to be. He is the image of God. <clears throat> and just for a little sidebar to help y'all out when the uh, folks come knocking on your door on Saturday. In this one, in verse fifteen, he say who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, when folks come knocking on your door on Saturday, this is one of the verses they like to use. And they will tell you that Christ is the firstborn of all creation, or the firstborn of every creature. And they'll ask you the simple question, what does it mean to be firstborn? And they sit there and look at you like that. because They think they got you in this deep, because your pals ain't taught you nothing like this. Your your church only gives you the motivational messages. And you don't learn nothing when you're at church. So they ask you that question. And you be like, the first one born? (laughs) And they say, yes, that's correct. Jesus is the first one born of every creature. So if he's the first one born, that means what? He was born first. If he was born first, that means he ain't eternal. If he ain't eternal, that means he ain't God. But your pastor told you that Jesus was God. So how can he be God and be the first one born? And you sit there and you stop. And you just say, well, I don't believe that Jehovah's Witnesses though. <laughs> but, and it's very important that we understand this because this is a key component to a lot of the scriptures. So if you pay attention to the firstborn throughout Scripture as the word progress, it does literally mean the first one born. But it became an idiom that expresses preeminence. What I mean by that, firstborn was the one who got all the inheritance. He's the one that took over the stead of the father. So the firstborn child became the daddy pretty much. So when Pop passed away, he give all this stuff to the firstborn. The other ones that get a little enough stuff to live and they get on by their way, unless the firstborn allowed them to remain in the house, because it becomes his. And what happened throughout scripture that were firstborn came to mean the top dog. So when it talks about Christ being the firstborn of all creation, what it's saying is he's the top dog of all creation. He's the man. He's the preeminent one. He's the one that rules over all the household of God. Just give you an example. Go to uh Psalms. Psalms chapter 89. Now watch this. We don't stay on this too long, but figure's necessary. Psalms chapter 89, verse 20. Psalms 89, verse 20. So I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. With whom my hands shall be established, my arms also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also in the sea, and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I will also make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. Now, this is the psalm talking about the exaltation of David and how God going to show mercy to him, do all these great things. So all this was poetically saying how great the kingdom of David was going to be. But in this, he said he was going to do something that don't make sense. If we listen to Jehovah's Witnesses about the meaning of that word. He said, I will make him also my firstborn. How you going to make somebody your firstborn? Like, God created Adam first. That's the firstborn. David came a long time after Adam. So how are he going to make him the firstborn? Because he told you what he mean when he said after, higher than the kings of the earth. That's a parallelism. So we're saying the same thing in two different ways. Making him my firstborn and making him higher than the kings of the earth is saying the same thing. So firstborn means the preeminent one. You got other places where God refers to Israel as his firstborn. He refers to Ephraim as his firstborn. So firstborn ain't the first one created. Firstborn is the preeminent one. The one that has to rule. The one that gets all the glory. The one that is exalted above everybody. Yeah, that makes sense to you. All right. So what you're going to have to do is write down your notes. Or listen to this again. So when the folk come knocking on your door on Saturday, if they take you to the scripture, you can you can show them a little something. Then you can talk to them about the greatness of Jesus above all things and his ability to transform them from sinners into saints. So that's what they're talking about in Colossians chapter 1. But let's get back to where we were, back to our regular schedule program. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, that's who he is. So now y'all starting to see the picture. We're going to transition a little bit and apply this thing to our everyday life and it's going to blow your mind, but it ain't going to be that deep. So we were made after the image of God. We were made in the similitude of the image of God. We were made in the likeness of the image of God. We were made to be like God. Christ is the expression of that. Say so he's the image of the invisible God. He is the expression of the image invis- of God. That's who Christ is. Go to Romans. Why, why is he going to start to transition a little bit? And we're going to see how this make life make sense. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, and to them who are the called according to His purposes, for whom He did foreknow, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, predestinate, them He also called; and whom He called, them He also justified; and whom He justified, them He also glorified. So this is talking about our redemption and our salvation. But it says, whom He did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So a part of our redemption, a part of our salvation is, said God predestinated. He marked out beforehand. This is the plan of God for us to be conformed to the image of his son. So it's showing us the full picture of what we're supposed to be. So if we know, in order for us to know who we are, in order for us to know our destiny as human beings, all we have to do is know Christ. Because Christ, Christ is what we're supposed to be. Y'all get what I'm saying? He is the image of God. You were created in the image of God. So you can't understand you if you don't understand Christ because that's the pattern that you were made after. It's like trying to put together a puzzle where you threw away the box. It don't make no sense. All you see is red and green and yellow and blue and green and yellow and red and green. So you struggle to put it together Because you have no idea what it's supposed to look like. And we live in a state, in a situation where we struggle to put our lives together. And we're trying our best to hold it up as best as we can. And to not to be so bad to where our family hate us or we go to jail. But we can't be as good as we're supposed to be because we don't know how good we can be. So we're trying to put our lives together. We're trying to match the pieces of all these things that have been flooded into our existence and our experience, but we didn't throw away the box. That's why humanity is in the state that it's in, because we're trying to be man without trying to be like God. Impossible, because you were made to be like him. And like I said, it's a thing that blows your mind if you actually pay attention through it through the scriptures. How many times Jesus said you must be perfect like your father in heaven is perfect? we get to be deep. Like, man, can't nobody be perfect? That ain't even the deep part. The deep part is he comparing me to the Father. That's what he want me to be. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, everybody's sinned, I told you. That ain't even the deep part. The deep part is he comparing me to the glory of God. How does Paul expect me to live in some way that allows me to meet up with the glory of God? The reason he can say that because that's what you were created to be. Christ is the image and the glory of God and you were made after that. You were made to be like that. You were made in the form of that. You were made in the similitude of that. Which means you're supposed to be the image and the glory of God. That's deep. That's why he can tell you be holy just like he holy. Because you were made to be like him. And anything less than that is unacceptable to the God. It's a berefting God of his destiny, of the thing that he put out. He made you to be like that. So when you go into life with the mindset, I can never be whatever it is you put on it. I can never be holy. I can never be righteous. I can never be perfect. Or whatever word you choose to put on now, what you're saying is I can't be what God created me to be. And what you're saying is God plan failed. Because God created a man to be like him. So if God in this earth with a whole bunch of people that ain't like him the devil won. It don't matter what happened. He won. Because ain't no more image of God on this planet. If you can't be it if God can't undo the foolishness that took place, that makes us not be completely what we were created to be. But if we pay attention to what it is that Paul is saying here, we have been predestinated to be that conformed to the image of his son. So God got this plan that we call redemption, that we call salvation, where God is seeking to undo the whole thing that the Satan has did to get back what he originally created. The image of God. To make people like Christ. It said that Christ can be the firstborn among many brethren. We talked about that firstborn. What that mean? The preeminent one. Among many brethren. Brethren is a relationship word. Some folks who just like him. Think about that picture for a minute. And it knocks down a couple whole bunch of theology that, that, that folks got out there. Now there's some folks that are going to get deep. And they super charismatic. And they're going to tell you that you're supposed to be God. That that's what God made you to be. That's a lie. You were made after the image of God. That don't mean you're gonna be God. You never will be. So when you watch the TBN and get some of them deep folks on there, I don't know if they still teaching that stuff on there now, but they lying to you. You ain't gonna be God because Christ gonna be the firstborn among what many brethren, which means He gonna be preeminent, which means He above everybody else. So we'll never be just like Him. We always gonna be what beneath Him. But it also referred to us as many brethren. Now the thing about brethren is they can have familial relations. So it's the thing that's in the father that is passed down through the children that make the children brethren and sisters. You get what I'm saying? So I got the same stuff that my brother got living inside of me. That's how he my brother. That's why y'all dark skinned folks who call yourself black call each other brother. Because you see some identification that makes him just like you. So you said, that's my brother. And so what Paul is saying is that when Christ looked down at us, he's supposed to be able to say, that's my brother. Because he's supposed to see some connection and some relation to from who he is and the things that flow through him in you. So he's going to be the firstborn, the preeminent one, but he's going to have some people that he can connect to, some people that are his brothers. You get what I'm saying? And this is the picture of our destiny. So please don't let nobody rob you of the greatness of the plan that God has got for you. Don't let nobody trick you and think you can come short. God got greater than just struggling to get by for you. You are the image of God and it don't get no better than that. You were made to be like Christ. Christ demonstrates what you're supposed to be. Now, all those other things that we connect to the image of God, those are part of the imprints that we get from copying and being like him. They ain't it. So righteousness ain't it, but righteousness is a part of the image because we made to be like him. So if I get to be like him, I'm going to be what? Righteous. Watch this thing. This thing get a little fun. We're going to have a little fun a little bit. Go to uh, one more, one more. Show you a deep verse. This was stuck out to me now. This deep is going to get right here. Numbers chapter 12. It's a spooky verse. It is. I bet now one of y'all ever paid attention to it before. Huh? Nobody brings up numbers? Well, we're going to bring up numbers. And we're going to bring up a verse. I'm so pretty sure nobody. Now one of y'all heard a sermon on. I ain't never seen it before till the other day. man that's deep right (laughs) there. why is this numbers chapter 12 verse 4 then we're gonna get to the good stuff let's play around a little bit numbers chapter 12 verse 7 and the lord spake suddenly unto moses unto aaron and unto miriam come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation and the three came out and the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear my words. If there be a prophet among you, if the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream, my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. Now, he, he scolding Aaron and Miriam because they didn't spoke against Moses. They think, Moses, you think you the man. He ain't the only one. We, we, God taught to us too. So Moses shut up and God fought his battle. But watch what he say. Talking about Moses in verse 8. Said, With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now this is deep saying. So Moses, I'm going to visit him. I'm going to talk to Moses face to face. And he said, and Moses is going to behold or see the similitude of the Lord. He's going to see the image of God. You, you, did you see that in there? This is what Moses is going to look at. Moses is going to look at the image of God when I talk to him, because God, in the person of Christ, is the image of God. That's the reality of it. And you got another spooky thing like that in the Book of Ezekiel. We ain't gonna get too spooky for y'all. Y'all ain't ready. But I wanted to show the picture that this thing is consistent throughout the Scripture. That the image of God ain't some Just undefined thing that's out there. It is distinct. It is concrete. It is something that we can point to. It's something that we can study. It's something that we can learn because it is a person. And that is Christ himself. Christ is the manifest image of God. So when God came down and talked to Moses, when he walked with him, when he revealed himself to him, he saw the similitude or the image of God. That's what we're supposed to be. But we have to understand what that is. Now watch this. Go to Galatians gonna we'll take this thing on home and we'll just show you how this applies all the way through life in understanding your redemption and your salvation Colossians chapter 3 verse 7 Colossians chapter 3 verse 7 it says in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them but now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. So this is Paul breaking it down, our new redemption and what we're supposed to do. So all this bad stuff, since you're used to walking that stuff, you don't live that way no more. So put off that stuff. But what would he tell you to do? Say And have put on the new man, which is renewed in in knowledge after the image of him that created him. This is what you're supposed to do. Put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So Paul is telling us, put off the old stuff, but put on this new man. Now this new man is renewed in what? In knowledge. And to tie this all into everything we've been talking about for the last year and a half almost. Because we've been saying that our whole pursuit in this venture that we call Christianity is to do what? Know God. The true definition of eternal life ain't just living forever is what? Knowing God. And what Paul is saying here that knowing God, the knowledge, renews this new man. So it recreates this new man. So as we increase in the knowledge of God, the new man that we're supposed to put on is recreated. It's increased. It's built up. But it said it's recreated how? In the image of him that what? Created him. So a part of this redemption, what it is that you're doing when you're saved, when you're being transformed by God, is you're taking off the old man, you're taking off the sinful self, and you're clothing yourself in Christ. That's your destiny. So God got a cheat code. He got the whole thing to to advance us to be what we're supposed to be. All you got to do if you want to be like Jesus. And fulfill your destiny as being in the image of God, is put it on. Yeah, you get in the picture. So you can put on the Jesus suit and you start walking with your liking. Just so you get the picture in your mind of one of them crazy little sorry little cartoons or freak stuff. So what's one of them shows where the folk get inside a bottle or something? I don't know. I ain't watched them type of show. <laughs> Huh? Don't worry about it. I'm going to paint my own picture. (laughs) Just imagine. A little bit of Cabronica was getting ready to go fight Aaron. In comparison to Cabronica, Aaron is a pretty big dude. And there's a good chance that even if he can't fight a little bit, he can be hugged. (laughs) (laughs) but let's just say there was this suit that Cabronica can put on that was formed and fitted just for her since she's small we're going to call it the Bruce Lee suit (laughs) that she can get in that thing all the way in it and zip it up and it's no longer Cabronica fighting but it's what? Bruce Lee fighting (laughs) and Aaron walk up there and he try to whoop her and before he can even bend his pinky finger to make a fist she punched him in the mouth and knocked all the teeth down his throat cause she got on the what the Bruce Lee suit now imagine if there was something like that for life that you were struggling with lust, you were struggling with lying, you were struggling with all this other stuff and you want to be a Christian but you just don't feel like you can do it and there's so much pressure against you and all that good stuff. What if God was to come down and he say, my child, don't worry. You can put on the Christian suit. And you step inside of this suit, you get to be just like the image of God, which is Christ. What, what if God did something amazing like that? That would be cool. Wouldn't we? we won't worry about nothing. Saying We just wake up. And we, <laughs> and make, sure, make sure I got the Jesus suit on before I go go out in this thing, man. Because it get crazy out in this world. How many of y'all would put the suit on? I, remember, I that'd be pretty cool. But if the Bible is true, we can do that. That's what Paul is saying here in Colossians. Put on Christ, which is renewed in knowledge after him. But he's ever put on the, the new man. The new man is the new Adam, the second Adam, which is Christ, because it is the image of God. So you got a suit that was made after the image of God. is being renewed in the likeness of God. is restoring all the things that got messed up when you, when you marred the image of God. And God is telling you, you can just put it on. So what excuse do you have not to live a Christian life? You ain't got now. Cause all you gotta do is put the suit on. Are you under? You tracking with what I'm saying? And what we gotta do is allow all this foolishness to get out of our mind. Cause people have beat us down for so long, and life has beat us down, and they've told us what we can't be for so long that we don't see the reality of what God has given us, and we content with a life that God ain't created us for. We content not being what God made. We content being depressed. We content with the struggle and, and falling in sin and confessing and repenting and falling and confessing and repenting. And then we didn't even got deep that told you living a life of repentance is the deepness of the Christian life. That's a lot. You don't find that nowhere in the Bible. I'm saying that's how I know I'm really saved because I grieve over my sin. What? ain't got nothing to do with it. You don't find that nowhere in the Bible. You find that in tradition. You find that in man. But what God has told me is that I can put the suit on. So Cabronica can feel bad about not beating up Aaron, but they ain't going to help her beat him up. If some way possible she put the suit on, she don't have to feel good about feeling bad about not doing good. That sounds like foolishness. You got confused? Listen to me say that. (laughs) If she put the suit on, she can feel good about being good and doing what God created her to do. So all you got to do is put off and put on. Change your clothes. Let's play with it some more. Go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. No, this ain't something I just made up. Ephesians chapter 4 watch watch, watch what Paul tell you again we'll start in verse 22 we'll start in 20 it's hard to pick a spot to start it said but you have not so learned Christ if so be that you have heard him and have been taught of him as the truth is in Jesus that you put all concern in the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. All you got to do is get this new man and you put it on. Then it gives you some description of this new man. The other one told us he created like God. Now, the image of him that created him. This one said he created after God, in the image of God, or according to the pattern of the image of God, in righteousness and true holiness you can put it on so if i got on this new man which is created after god according to the pattern that god has put forth which is christ himself how should i be looking like that and he said his new man is created in righteousness and true holiness i get all of it i get to live right And I get to be truly holy. That's a heart that's wholly dedicated toward God. Ain't no mismatch in me. Ain't no holding nothing back in me. My heart is truly surrendered to him. Truly sanctified. Set apart for God and God's use alone. That's true holiness. I get that. All I got to do is put on this new man. Y'all getting the picture. And this is a theme that if you pay attention to, it goes throughout all the scriptures. God has clothed us. And to show us the pattern, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve started this corruption, we're going to go a little deeper into that. <clears throat> God did something to show them forgiveness and give them a pattern. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, people get deep with this thing. And they tell you, see, after the sin happened and they was found naked and ashamed, God made a sacrifice. And you're like, yeah, God killed the animal. But if you actually read Genesis chapter three, it don't say nothing about no sacrifice, and it don't say nothing about no slaughtering no animal. But what it does says is that God what clothed them. Uh, you, you get what I'm saying? See, people get deep with that thing, and they read into the Bible stuff that ain't there. Genesis three ain't talking about no sacrifice, because purely a sacrifice for atonement only gets you forgiveness. But there's something about our state that has to be changed. So when God came to these people and he wanted to fix their jack up, he did what? He clothed them. That's how he separated them from the shame and the foolishness that they had going on. He clothed them. And when God called Aaron to be the priest and the high priest and he wanted to make him distinct from the rest of the people, he made some garments that couldn't nobody else wear. And he told Aaron, if you want to come into the presence of God, you got to put this on. And he made special clothes just for his people to draw near to him. He clothed him. That's what he did. And if you fast forward to the New Testament, to us people who are supposed to be the people of God, who's supposed to draw nigh unto God, he's done the same thing for us. He took all our nakedness. He took all our shame and he put God clothes on us. He has clothed us in himself. Go flip over another chapter in Ephesians. Now now watch this. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Famous verse right here, famous verse. Paul talking, he said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now watch this. Same thing we get picking up. Like I say, it goes all the way through the end of Revelation. This thing about God clothing us. But he told you to put on the whole armor of God. Everybody used to that. You know I'm saying? We got that. We got the little posters that was in Sunday school class and all that type stuff. We heard a whole bunch of sermons about that. So we ain't going to go too deep in that. But I want to elevate your mind a little bit. Now. Paul telling us to put on, put on the whole armor. We need to be clothed, right? That what he's telling you to clothe yourself with. Now, if you pay attention to what he tells you to clothe yourself with, he's telling you to clothe yourself with Christ. Because if you put on the belt of truth, Paul told you, I mean, Jesus told you in John 14, chapter 6, that he is what? The way, the truth, and the life. So the morning for me to put on the belt of truth, I got to put on who? Christ. He told you to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Christ is the what? The righteousness of God. And that's what he has made us. Jeremiah chapter 3, I mean chapter 23, verse 6, talking about this soon coming king of David who's going to restore the people of God. And it refers to him as Yahweh, my righteousness. That's the testimony of Christ to come. But we're supposed to put on the breast, breastplate of righteousness. Are uh, you you're tracking? Them. And if you pay attention to all the armor, all the armor goes back to Christ. Our feet supposed to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But Christ is the prince of peace. God is the God of peace. All that we have is in God. All that we have is in Christ. He is our salvation. When the man showed up to Zacchaeus house, what he told him? Salvation has come to your house this day. Because Christ is our salvation. He is our redemption. So everything that we're supposed to put on to be what God created us to be is Christ. So when we get into Christ, we got on the whole what? Armor of God. All of it. Because Christ is our destiny. Christ is the image after which we were created. Christ is our all in all. He's our everything. And all we have to get in this life to get what God want us to have is to get Christ. So in your pursuit, what are you pursuing? We ain't pursuing no blessings. We ain't pursuing no, no magnified or high church experience. We're not pursuing any of these things. What we're after is Jesus. We ain't even pursuing righteousness. We're pursuing his righteousness. And Christ is that righteousness. Christ is the righteousness of God. So we're going after him. We're seeking to obtain him. He is life eternal. And he is the image of God. I cannot be what God created me to be unless I be with him. Because he's what I'm supposed to be. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? This is our life. This is our destiny to be one with Christ. That's why this Bible started talking about this crazy stuff, being in Christ. Therefore, if anybody's in Christ, he's what? A brand new creation because we didn't put on the image of God suit. We didn't put on the Jesus suit, y'all so we can walk like he walked. We can talk like he talked. And we don't care what traditions say. We don't care what our weaknesses say. We don't care what our family history say and all that other stuff. We ain't got to worry about no generational curses. We ain't got to worry about no inadequacy within ourselves. We ain't got to worry about none of that. Because all that stuff has been protected. All that stuff has been blocked. All that stuff has been separated from us because we inside this Jesus suit. Generational curses is in this thing right here. But I ain't got them generations no more. I got a new dad. You understand what I'm saying? Like one famous preacher said, my generation go back one. One generation to Jesus himself. Christ, the King of glory. He's the one that has recreated me. I've been what? Born again. And when God recreates something, He took all this time to form you. He took all this time to make you. He put all these intricacies within you, making sure all this stuff worked the way it worked. You bat your eyes and you don't even realize it because it's watering your lenses. All this stuff you don't even have to think about. God keeping your eyes from being dry. God is blocking dust and all that stuff from going on that ain't supposed to be like it is because you don't clean up the way you're supposed to. But God got you. You Batting your eyes, you don't even realize. Keeping the dust out your eyes. Keeping your eyes moisturized and all that good stuff. If he take the time to do all that just for this physical little body, you think he going to recreate you wrong? You think he won't put the same detail in this new creation that he made? If he going to take the time, to, like I said, take care of this stuff. But he going to go inside you and re-give you a new heart. Give you a new spirit. But they're going to be like, okay, man, you just be me in the old thing. Let's just take that old heart put some new valves on it. God ain't doing that. You just gonna dust off that old spirit. It's still good. No, God, God ain't doing that. God has loved you to the point where he came down to visit you because he has crowned you with glory and honor. And God is greater than LeVar Ball. What y'all mean by that? Because God never lost. (laughs) That's our God. Sports fan don't want to get that. (laughs) But that's the God we serve. Never lost. Always win. And if we get this full picture of redemption, we get to participate in the victory. Because God started something in that garden. He started a king. I mean, he started a, a, a rule of kingly priests. That's what he put down. Now, that's what he made you. That's what you are as a human being. You're a kingly priest, servant of God. A serpent came in that garden to mess all that stuff up. And God wanted to show you how great he is. And in fact, no matter what that serpent did, God going in. Now, I have this story. I think I told it before. It's one of the most vivid memories I have of, of a child. Like I said, my mind ain't that great, so I don't remember a whole lot of stuff. I thank God Just chose stuff that he let me remember because he knew I was slow and I couldn't remember a whole bunch of stuff. But I got this one vivid memory. 205D Terminal Road at my grandma's house sitting right out in front of this old gray station wagon. Gray as blue. My father painting the paint. He getting down. I'm just sitting out there. A little kid sitting on the car being anxious just watching my daddy do what he do. Grandma yell out the wonder. Anthony! <laughs> Want him to go to the store. Man changed his name a whole bunch of years before, but she refused to change. Holler at him just like he a little boy. He responds, run to the store, but he does this one amazing thing. Like I said, burned in my brain. He give me the brushes. I'm a little bit kid. Barely five, six years old, if that. He give me the brushes, and he tell me, finish it for me, son. He gets in the car, go down to the store, and I'm standing out there, I don't know the first thing about a paint. I told y'all last week what I did with the paint brushes, I beat on paint cans. (laughs) But he told me to finish it, and this was a commission piece. This wasn't him just painting for the fun of it. This was something he was doing for somebody. So I get out there and I get to doing my thing. Scared as all get out. I paint. My father come back and I haven't told his thing all the way up. And I had no idea what I'm doing. He run, take the stuff to my grandma, come back out there. Like, son, you did a good job. Good job. And he get the brushes from me and he completes it. I go in the house, go run, do whatever. I come back and I see the finished product. And when you look at that portrait, you could not tell that I even touched it. Like I said, that thing burned in my brain for years, it wasn't until I got saved that it made sense. And it was the fact that my father was so confident in his ability that it was impossible for me to do something that he couldn't make look good. He knew that just how dope he was. So he took this time to love his son, to give him a part the opportunity to participate in the thing that he do, because no matter what this boy do, I'm greater than this boy, and I'm greater than anything that can be put on this campus. So he finished the picture with no sign of me ever touching it. That was just my daddy, a regular old dude with some paint and paintbrushes. So when Christ has recreated us, and he give us dominion here on this planet, and he allow you to live on this earth, he can do that because he has full confidence in his ability as a redeemer, as a savior, as a keeper, as the lover of your soul, that you can't mess it up. All you have to do is be willing that when he comes and asks for it, give him the brush. Just give it to him. And all the foolishness that you done put on the on the canvas that is your life, he can erase it with no sign of him ever being there. Are you understanding what I'm saying? But as long as we struggle and think we got to figure this thing out, think that we got to strive for this level of righteousness, think that we got to achieve all these things in and of ourselves, think about our inabilities, think about our weaknesses, think about our failures, you're going to always mess up. But once you realize that your daddy is greater than any of your failures, that your father can undo anything that you have done, that he has the skills and he has the ability to make all things new, All you got to do is rest in him and to trust him and to surrender the paintbrush of your life over to him because he made you in the image of God and he dope enough and he good enough that he going to get what he created. The only question is, are we going to participate and be a part of that train of glory? Because in Revelations, when Jesus come back, it talks about this great assembly of people that are going to come back with him. king and priests unto the Lord, shouting and reigning and ruling over this earth. And he said, these people are clothed with right robes, which is the righteousness of the saints. That Jesus is coming back, and we coming with him, and we're going to take over this planet all because we just cheer with our daddy. Y'all understand me? All we got to do is trust him. Anybody got any questions? How do we put on the clothes? How do
1: we how do we put on the suit?
0: How do we put on the clothes? The short version, like I said, we're gonna go deep into all this. The short way to put on the clothes is that 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 that's true. <laughs> but it's in the picture and you put on the clothes through faith. And what I mean by that is you have to believe that. God has done what he said he did. Like I said, I like the way Paul do it. He always put off, put on. He make it sound so simple. It's like, you just do it. And the reality is, if we believe that it's reality, it will be that simple. So the hard part for us is, like he said, also in Colossians, that we continue in him just like we began in him. And we did that by faith. So putting on the clothes is just believing that he gave it to you. So when you read some in the scriptures and you get convicted and you pray to God for Him to make it right or to change it or to do it in your life, you wake up just like it's been done. Just act like you can do it. Just start walking. So if he tells you that your house is gonna be a house of peace and joy and all that good stuff, when you go in your house, you joy and peace is in this house. You can sing, you can dance, you can do whatever. And if ever a time you don't see what he told you gonna to be there, you go back to the one who gave you the promise. Because it's all built on faith. And anybody you trust, when they give you a promise, you hold them to that. Like I said, I love the example of, of money because I was broke and probably still live. <laughs> but when people give you a promise, like if Justin sends you to the store and he tells you you need to get this, 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 and this, and you're like, we can get all this? He said, Psh, go ahead, baby. It's on now. <laughs> If you truly trust him, when you get to that store and you swipe that card and the folk tell you, oh, that thing didn't go through. You're going to tell them, swipe it again. And they're like, oh, it came back to Now, this is what faith going to come in at. If you truly believe him, you're going to call him. You're going to be like, hey, baby, something going on. They say this stuff ain't working. Now, if you don't believe him, You're going to get mad. You're going to start crying in that store. I can't wait till I get home to see him. got me out here embarrass me. (laughs) Because you trust them people more than you trust him. But if you truly trust him, you're going to call him. And you're going to say, hey, they said this thing ain't working. What's going on? You can check it. You're like, oh, let me check it out, mate. Oh, it's good. And you're going to keep going through that thing because you believe him when he tells you something. And it's the same thing with putting on your clothes. You pray to God and you say, God, change me, fix me. I don't want to be this way no more. And you wake up and believe that you ain't that way no more. And you start living like you ain't that way no more. Trusting that his power going to be inside you, that you got on the Jesus suit. And if you see some sign that maybe I got a hole in the toe of my Jesus suit because everything ain't working, but this one little part. You go back and you say, oh, i put this one off. God, you gave me a defective one. I need a new Jesus. <laughs> 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 some ain't right in this thing. You don't believe you or you ain't real. Now wait, show me. And you go go there until Jesus get it. But the foundation of putting it on the easy part is just believing that you got it. And that's why bad teaching is such a bad thing because it clouds our mind to the point where we don't believe that we can get it. Anybody got any more questions?
2: Um, You mentioned earlier um, that we're never going to be just like there will always be beneath them. And that sounds right, but I'm trying to reconcile that with Matthew ten twenty four and twenty five. Okay, that sounds like good. Go ahead and read the disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his lord is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his lord. And I've always sort of struggled with that because when I read it like as, it sounds like equal, but Mm -hmm. he's still the like you said the firstborn. So. There's a level that he is that, like you said, will always be beneath it. But I'm just having a problem uh, reconciling that wording. Yeah, Yeah.
0: In in the wording, he tells you in the wording, like the disciple will never be above his master. So you'll never get to a point where you exceed him. The best thing that can happen is that you get to a point where you just like him. And you got to keep this in the full context of what he was talking about. So what he was talking about was, People mistreating and abusing him. So like, you'll never get to a point where in the eyes of people or in your relations and your dealing with people where you could do better than what I did. Now the best thing you can do is in your relations to people is to be just like I am. So when people treat you just like they treat me, that's the best you can get. And that's what he's saying. I and mean, we can extrapolate that through all of life. The best we can get is to get to as closest to him or to be just as him in ways that, <clears throat> People can't discern the difference. That's the best we can do. But the master will always be above the disciple. So you can be just as wise as God, but you'll never be all wise in the sense of having omniscience and all that stuff. But in your dealings, people, you can deal and figure out stuff with, with words of knowledge and all those things. God can give you that stuff that they can't discern the difference. People can look at you and say, God, well, you remind me of Jesus. <laughs> and you just, God be the glory. Yeah. <laughs> but you can get to that level that's what he means so when you said you can be as your master the best you can get is what people treat you just like me that's the best that's the as you can go but you're going to always be below the master the disciple going to always be less than you. that makes a little sense to you anybody else got any more questions um,
2: Jesus came to baptize in the Holy Ghost and in fire mm-hmm I don't know what the fire is. You don't
0: know what the fire is? No. But I'll just tell you, you do not want to be baptized in the fire. Oh.
2: Um, okay, I did it, thank
0: you. <laughs> Yeah, if you read it, when it says Jesus came to baptize with Holy Ghost and with fire, if you keep on reading, it's talked about judgment. His winning and fork is in his hand, and he's going to separate you and all that type of stuff. And don't the fire. Huh? You don't want the fire. I don't want the fire so, them charismatic folks can trick you when they had you run around church
2: hollering, fire!
0: <laughs> 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 that ain't what Jesus, John was talking about. Go ahead. That's what everybody was told. I was told the same thing. And you just read it in his context. You just read all the whole statement that John makes. He go from talking about this baptism to talking about judgment and God coming in the last day with his four men in his hand and separating and all that good stuff. So what John was talking about was judgment. So Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and he's going to baptize with fire. He's going to do both of them. So the first time he's coming, he's doing the Holy Ghost thing. And we need to get in on that train. But the second time he comes, he's going to get the uh, uh, another type of baptism that we don't want. Now it sounds deep and it's very good and charismatic. Like I said, I did that and ran around the church and, and did all that foolish, <clears throat> holling fire and, and sung them songs about fire. But that ain't the picture you get from scripture. So if you want to make that in your mind that when I say fire, I mean passion, you can do that. Yeah, the youth, the youth on fire. You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> they on fire for the Lord. If you want to extrapolate that, just know they don't get that from the Bible. <laughs> I think I might still say that sometime because it's just in there anybody else got any more questions you got to know
2: I think I probably asked this before but I don't remember the answer so don't when I'll tell you for again and you ain't gonna remember this time I'll, I'll remember this time you know <laughs> Go ahead. because I said so so the devil came and tempted Jesus. Uh-huh. And I just don't understand why he would tempt God when he knows that he's God. I just don't get it. What you mean you don't get it? Because, like, when them little demon things was in that man, they was all, like, scared and stuff. Because mm-hmm. they was like, you Jesus. And don't, like, hurt us or something like that. So like if they scared, why well I guess like he's like I don't know. Anyway, like the devil. He was casted down to earth mm-hmm. by this person, by Jesus, by God. My and he's just going cast him down. God didn't waste of time, dog. <laughs> <that>. Okay, well. <laughs> he knows because he did it wrong by God. And that's why he's down here. And then he's going to tempt him with like, I got all these kingdoms, so if you worship me, then you can be in control of these kingdoms. Like he don't already know that he God. I just don't understand the temptations.
0: Okay, i hope help you understand a little bit. Yeah, I'll make it semi-personal. Well, that's a good question. So the reason he did it, one, because yes, Christ was God in a human form, but Christ was 100% man. So when you understand that he's a man, just like all the rest of the men, and you've been tricking and deceiving men for eons and ages, why can't do it to this one? But you also got this standpoint of this thing that is the epitome of the devil, which is called deception. So you have this devil being the devil, and a part of being the devil is being deceived. And the thing about being deceived is you don't recognize deception when it shows up because you're deceived. And so there's a way that seems right, But it really ain't right. So that's how you can know something and still act in a certain way because you deceive. There are devils that really think that they're going to win. Like I said, I watched a little thing, a little documentary about some cult out in California. And they done built this temple. And they built it. They made sure that the architect Say so he built this thing so that they could escape the great earthquake. And the address of the building is 1311. I can't remember the words. But it's a connection, and it's a connection to the book of Revelation. So these people do not believe in God. I do not, are not Christians, but they're using Revelations to address their buildings. But if you read it, it talks about the great earthquake that's going to come upon the earth to destroy everybody. So they're conscious of this. But in their mind, they built their temple to escape and to withstand the great earthquake that's going to come on the world. That's what you call deception. So you're conscious of a reality that tells you what you're saying is wrong. But you so believe what you're saying that you don't realize that it's wrong. That's what the devil does. He deceives. And deceives, deception runs throughout all the earth. Now for am to make it personal. Because there are certain things that God has told us we shouldn't do, we should do, and we say, "I know," but why in the world would you do something consciously knowing that God has told you you ain't supposed to be doing it? And you be telling it to yourself that I don't need to do this, and then you have a butt behind it. If you can understand that you can understand why the Satan did what, what he did. The answer is deception. Anybody else got any questions?
3: How are we supposed to know who the Antichrist
0: is? How are we supposed to know who the Antichrist is? <clears throat> well, multiple ways. One is John tells us that in the world now there are many Antichrists. And the way you know who they are is they are the ones who are against Christ are the ones who put their place, put themselves in Christ's stead. So the people who act and live like they Jesus and to want to take over the spot of Jesus, like they got the preeminence, they the ones who are the antichrist. So if you recognize them people now, you'll recognize them when that dude come who called himself the one. Go ahead.
3: So you're saying that there's already antichrist because of those people who are like saying that they're Jesus?
0: Yeah, that's what John said. He said the spirit of antichrist is already in the world.
3: If you do not love God, do things work together for you? Huh? You're good? What's you you in If you do not love God, do things work together for your good?
0: All things just don't work together for good. But God is a loving God. So He makes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. So God treat everybody good because He's good.
3: When you dream, is God talking to you every
0: time? Every time. I can't say 100% every time. Ecclesiastes, he's talking about how sometimes dreams come through much busyness of flesh. That's why sometimes you sit there, you play frog and run all day, and you see little dots and dashes going across your eyes when you dream. <clears throat> That's what you've been doing. Uh, you play Tetris or what you see little blocks in your dream. <laughs> are,
3: are you saying it's possible to be perfect?
0: Are you saying it's possible to be perfect? It depends on what you mean by perfect. I mean, every time I give a speech, I'm not going to say a word wrong, no. I mean, every time I shoot a jump shot, I'm going to make it? No. Every time I write a paper, I'm I'm going to misspell some stuff. So if that's what you mean by perfect, no. But if you mean the same thing that Paul meant by perfect, and that's complete in Christ, not lacking anything, doing and following the will of God all the way that God wants you to, yes, it's possible to do that.
3: If you go through life without doing any good works, are you going to heaven?
0: If you go through life without doing any good works, are you going to heaven? No, because He saved us and redeemed us unto good works, and when He judges us, He gonna judge us based off our works.
3: Did Moses sin when he? Um, when, did Moses sin when he married the um, lady from the another, another town? Here, no. That's it. What exactly is coveting?
0: Coveting? That's longing for or desiring after something that don't belong to you.
3: So if I want ice cream from the store, but it doesn't belong to me, that's coveting?
0: It can be. If you want ice cream just because you see your sister want ice cream, or you want ice cream just because you saw it in the store or saw it on a commercial, that could be coveting.
3: Why couldn't they kill pigs for sacrifices because they didn't even eat them.
0: Because God told them not to, and it's unclean, and only the clean things can be sacrificed to God.
3: From your
1: question, it made me think, I'm like on a personal level, like, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't he tempt Jesus when he was at his weakest point or felt like he was far from God, in a sense?
0: Uh, that's what some people say, but the Bible don't really say that. They don't
2: say
1: that? He was hungry. Yeah, like, when you're hungry, you feel like you can't focus, right? Yeah. So, how can I say this? I guess he felt as if he could tempt him at his weakest point, because at your weakest point, you do fall for deception very easily, if that makes sense. So, that just made me, like, really think. Uh-huh. It was a good, I was just sitting there thinking about it, like, for a minute. That's
0: good. All uh, right, any other questions? All right, that's it. They're all yours, boss.